0: Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to First DC. I hope you are glad to be here this morning, and um, want to welcome everyone. And if there's any visitors, I would encourage you to fill out the little card that's on the back table. Let us know a little bit about yourself. I also want to just highlight a few a few announcements. Um, first of all, first of all, I do want to uh, express our appreciation. Vicky and I certainly do thank you for all of the Different ways that you showed your appreciation for us this past month during pastor appreciation month, it was um, wonderful meals, gift cards, cards, words of encouragement. there were just all sorts of different gifts so yeah it was uh, it was a wonderful month. Thank you very much for for the way you have um, shown your appreciation and have encouraged us. <clears throat> Excuse me, we have a new thing, new insert in the bulletin for um, just reminding you to get some Christmas cards together, drop them in the basket in the back there, and um, you'll see the names that, um, that we want get to the, get the cards out to. Um, also, the LCCM benefit dinner, I've been asked to let you know that Jean will distribute those tickets whenever she gets them. She hasn't, she hasn't received them yet, so as soon as she gets them, she will distribute them to those who have expressed an interest. And just a reminder that we do have a Council meeting this Thursday evening. Is there anything else that you would like to highlight on our schedule? Things that people need to know that are coming up? Yes. Oh, that starts this week, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the, the clothing giveaway is going to begin this Thursday. Uh, this Thursday, and it happened again on, on Saturday. If I understand correctly, today was the last day for donations. Thank you very much. We have a very full room back there. Um... And we'll hope that, uh, that it'll be empty. We'll hope that people will come and, and, and use it, need it, take it. So thank you for, uh, for donating. We do need your help still with some, some activities for, for cleaning up and for, uh, for even being here, helping out with snacks and so forth. So there are some, some sign-up sheets out there. Please take a look at it. See if there's a way that you can lend a hand. Um, it's, again, this Thursday evening, well, 4 to 7 and then on Saturday from 9 a.m. till 1. So if, there, if you're around any of those times, you're willing to, to give a hand, um, please sign up and, and give, us, give us some help there. Thank you for, I, I, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Anything else that we need to remember, need to think about for our schedule? Okay. Well, let's, let's pray first, and then I'll get to our... Call to worship. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for this um, for this beautiful morning. We are glad that we have an opportunity to to enjoy it, just its beauty, but also to enjoy coming together as a family and to lift up our praises to you, Lord. I pray that um, that everything we do here this morning, you'll find honor in, you'll find glory in, and uh, we just praise you. We love you, and we're here to show you and to hear from you. Um, this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 100. It is Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I'll invite you to stand, and let's sing our praises together. This morning. (laughs)
1: The song is for. Thank you.
0: Before you sit down, why don't you take a minute just to greet each other with the right hand of fellowship? And Bill, you can get up and move. (laughs) (laughs) I'll call him back. out very well. I I was afraid I'd have to call everybody back to their seats. You you guys are so good at this. You have have a certain clock in your head or something there. Very good. Well, this morning we want to take, of course, time to lift up a few, um, well, lift up as many praises as you want, but also lift up any prayer requests. Um, I'll give you a minute to think about praises. I do want to share a couple of prayer requests with you this morning. Um, We do know about... um, Ron and Jean aren't here because last night Ron uh, got a cut in his in a toe. He was in the emergency room for a while overnight. He's um, back home. He's fine, um, but it, they did spend quite a quite a bit of time um, in the in the hospital last night. So we want to want to pray for Ron and also um, uh, Christine Rupert this morning. She wasn't able to come. She said she's been she's been sick. She's been fighting with some kind of a virus all week. So we will. Um, We'll lift up Christine in, in prayer as well. So I've given you a little time to think. Can you, can you um, share any praises that you might have from this week? Yes, back in the back, Amy. <laughs> um, Marlene on Zoom. Lois Groff went home from the hospital on Thursday. Okay. So. All right. Thank you. And I saw that Ginny had her hand up. I just wanted to give you all an update on Lottie, who I asked you to pray for last week. So she's still in the hospital, and she's in more stable condition. Um, It sounds like she has a lot of brain damage, sort of similar to what Mike had when he had his fall. But, you know, they're hoping that she'll get more and more back. So thank you for your prayers. Anyone else? Have a praise for last night's event. Oh yeah! Uh, I think it was wonderful. It was fun, and uh, we had hot dogs and s'mores and cider, <laughs> and we made it. We didn't drink too much cider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also want to ask for prayer for Sharon. Sharon wasn't here last Sunday oh. nor yes. this week. She's still under the weather. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Tom in the back there. (laughs) Prayers for Bill Dispro sitting here. Wednesday he undergoes knee surgery. I pray for success and and minimal pain. Yes, thank you. Any others? Okay, well, let's, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for just giving us the gift of this day. We recognize um, the beauty of it just in the fact that you have given it to us and that we get to experience it and get to um, enjoy your presence in it. Father, we lift up these that you have heard, the names already. Um, we, we pray for Ron and Christine, Lottie, Sharon and Bill, and you know all the needs there. I pray for uh, direction and, and wisdom for any any doctors and specialists who are performing any kind of surgeries or any, anything that is um, helping people through any kind of healing and surgery and so forth. We thank you for those who already took care of some. And I pray for just your your healing touch and comforting touch for those who are sick and need to get through situations as well. Father, I also pray for your, your comfort on those who may be struggling, uh, your, your hand of peace on those who are anxious. Father, I just pray that as all of us go through our walk of life, that we continue to grab your hand and, and follow you through our situations, that we don't try to to just do things ourselves. Help us to remember that you are here for us, you love us, you take care of us. And we thank you for that and we praise you for it. Father, one of the ways that we recognize that you take care of us is by giving us the things that we need through the week. And Father, I pray that this offering that we have taken today would be accepted by you as a token of worship, as a token of our appreciation for for what you do for us. And Father, I ask you to bless it, and I ask you to use it to to further your kingdom and to further your church. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you to stand again, and and let's sing our hymn number 78. Seated. Well, we're going to continue our study here of the uh, Apostle John's first letter or first epistle as we take a look today at a larger chunk, 1 John 4, verse 7, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 5, verse 4. Now, John's going to start repeating a few things. He's going to be talking about love again, and I know we already spent some time, or he spent some time, I should say, talking about love, and so we, we read those verses. Um, so today we're going to take larger chunks rather than going verse verse by verse. Um, before I even get started, I want to tell you a little story. I want to share a little story with you about a congregation that had just called a new pastor. No, this isn't about me. This is a This is another story about a pastor who just called a new minister, brand new. Everybody was excited about meeting their new pastor. They were excited about hearing him preach. And of course, Sunday morning, the sanctuary was packed. and The people were on the edge of their pews in anticipation of his first sermon. And sure enough, he didn't let them down. This sermon was a doozy. And the text he was preaching from comes from the passage that we're going to be hearing this morning. He had selected 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, which says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, as the new preacher finished his sermon, the heads were nodding. There were a few amens here and there. And the, and the pastoral search committee, they breathed a huge sigh of relief. This guy was a keeper then the next Sunday, as the new minister read the text for the day, a few of the old saints raised their eyebrows because it was the same text as the Sunday before. 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, of course, they had never heard two consecutive sermons on the same text before, but they gave the new preacher the benefit of the doubt, And they listened carefully and tried to be open-minded. But as the preacher began his sermon, lo and behold, it was exactly the same sermon as the one they'd heard the week before, word for word. They didn't know what to do about it. Was this some kind of a joke he was playing on them? Were they supposed to get some kind of deeper meaning the second time around? Was he even aware that he was repeating himself Well, out of courtesy, they didn't say anything. They just listened politely, and when the service was over, they shook hands at the door with him and said things like, you know, that was a mighty interesting sermon you gave us today, Reverend. And the next Sunday, everyone was on pins and needles. The tension before the service was so thick you could cut it with a knife. Everyone could sense that they were on the edge of a storm brewing. And when the minister started reading the text... The congregation started squirming, because once again he read from 1 John 4.11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And to their dismay, he began the sermon with the exact same words as the two Sundays before. But before he could get his introduction done, one of the elders jumped up and he says, Preacher, we've heard this sermon twice already now. What's going on? And the minister calmly looked at the elder and he said, well, nothing really, and that's the problem. When you start doing what John says, then I'll give you a new sermon next week. (laughs) So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the heart and soul of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's what distinguishes us as Christians In the words of the old camp song, they'll know we are Christians by our... Very good. (laughs) But let's talk a moment to talk about this word, love. In the English language, we only have that one word, love. Believe it or not, it's actually easier to understand in the Greek language. In the English, because we only have the word love, I mean, I love my wife. I love all of you, I also love chocolate-covered peanuts, and I would love to have a Mustang to cruise around in. We love so many different things. But in the Greek, there are four words to describe types of love. There's phileo love, it means brotherly love. And that's, that's the kind of love that I have for you. The word Philadelphia literally translates to brotherly love city. There's eros love, that's the romantic or sensual kind of love, the love that I have for my wife. It's where we get the word erotic. There's storge love, that's family love or familial kind of love. That's the kind of love I have for my children. And then there's agape love, and I know you've heard of that one. The unconditional, self-sacrificing kind of love that God has for each and every one of us. And this agape love is the kind of love that we are to show to others. Dear friends, since God so agape loved us, we also ought to agape love one another. God loves us, and we in turn love one another. That's the essence of the Christian faith. But when we try to put it into action, it's a lot easier said than done. Let's face it, sometimes we don't feel very loving, do we? And to be honest, some people are a lot easier to love than others. Well, this morning I want to take a look behind the command, if you will. Take a look behind the command to love one another as God loves us. To make sure we understand what John's telling us here. John was referred to as the beloved disciple. He knows a little bit about love. He, said he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. History tells us that John was the only disciple to die of natural causes. He was a very old man when he died. And one of his disciples, a man named Polycarp of Smyrna, tells a story about John when he was very, very old and how he went to a house church where people had gathered to worship. John was so old and decrepit that he couldn't walk. They had to carry him in on a stretcher. His disciples carried John in. He mustered up all of his strength, and he, he lifted up his head. And When he had gathered his breath, he proclaimed, Beloved, love one another. That was his sermon. But it's no surprise, because John spends a lot of time emphasizing the love of God, especially in today's text. John uses the word love 46 times in the whole letter, and 32 times just in today's passage. John wants us to see that there is a direct connection between love and God. And the question he answers this morning is, how does loving other people show me that God loves me? He makes it personal. We're often thinking about how does loving other people show them that God loves them? But he turns it inward. He has us think about it as a personal question. How does loving other people show me that God loves me? I'm going to start reading then. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, he starts off again, as he does very often with, with a new thought. He starts off saying, dear friends, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. That's a very popular phrase, not just among Christians, and I think it's easily misunderstood. Some people think that when they die, regardless of any kind of relationship with Christ, everything's going to be okay because God is love, which means that everyone gets to heaven. And we know that that's not correct. Not, they don't get to live eternally with God. Let's put it that way. Another incorrect way of thinking is that when someone uses the phrase, they'll say, I, a loving God would never... dot dot, dot Whatever that might be some way to justify a part of their errant beliefs. We don't get to identify or, um, or describe God. He, he describes himself. But there are people who, wanna, who aren't comfortable with the truth, and so they will say, a loving God would never. God is love. But there was another God is statement that we heard earlier in this letter. Do you remember what it was? God is, in chapter 1, verse 5, John told us God is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all, he said. God is the light that reveals all sinfulness, and God will judge and punish sinfulness. And if we don't understand this, then we can't fully appreciate the statement that God is love. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus was sent as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation. Now, that's a big word that I'm pretty sure we don't use um, every day. I mean, ra- raise your hand if you've used the word propitiation this past week. No, I didn't, I didn't think so. The only reason I used it was because I was preparing for the sermon. It's not a word we use, uh, maybe because we don't know it, or maybe we, we have actually heard it, but we don't know the the definition of it, but I can guarantee that you understand the concept, especially if you're married. Let me give you an example. Many of you gentlemen have a good deal of experience in the marriage department, right? Yes, okay. I guess so. <laughs> so I'm sure you know that wives have different levels of anger. Now, wives, just stay with me, it's okay. But men, we know that our wives can have different levels of anger, right? There are times when they are mildly angry. We've pushed them just beyond the annoying point to the they've kind of crossed the line, and now we can tell they're just a little bit mildly angry. And when that happens, maybe the best thing to do is just zip it, right? Just stop talking, let the anger kind of fizzle, maybe walk into the next room. But there are other times when they are very, very, very angry. So I hear. I can't say that I have any personal experience. (laughs) But sometimes our wives get very angry, right? And it's probably because we really messed up. We did something wrong. The wives, we'll, we'll take credit for it. Yes, dear. It's our fault. And the smartest thing to do at this time is to grab your wallet and head for the flower shop or the chocolate store, Right? Well, when you offer her those flowers and chocolate and that I'm sorry, you're offering them as a propitiation. Providing a propitiation is the idea of offering a sacrifice. Took a little money out of the wallet, right? Plus it worked into your ego that you had to say, I'm sorry, right? It's a sacrifice that you're offering in order to turn away or to appease somebody's anger or wrath. That's the whole concept of a propitiation. And so John is telling us that that's what Jesus was for us to God. Jonathan Edwards, the, the, uh, the preacher, gave his famous sermon about sinners in the hands of an angry God. And when people heard that and understood, it was so influential that it's attributed with being a catalyst for the first great awakening. Now, some Christians are offended by the idea that Jesus had to be offered as a propitiation for our sins because it implies that God is personally angry because of their sin. It's not a pleasant thing to think about, but it's in here. It's the truth. And so God is light as well as love. And he's personally angry when people ignore him and reject him and make a mess of his world. God is light. That means he is personally angry at my sin and my ignorance and my rejection and and arrogantly thinking that I can live my life without him. That makes him angry. I deserve nothing less than God's judgment and wrath. And yet, because God is love, He gives up something extremely precious to him. He gives up a part of himself, a part of the Trinity, his unique, perfect son, and sends him into the world. And this perfect, sinless son, Jesus, takes all my sin on himself. He's slaughtered on the cross as a sacrifice for me, a sacrifice, a propitiation, so that God's anger would be turned away, so that I would be forgiven and can live with him eternally. Every time I say it, I get goosebumps, even when I was practicing this sermon this week. Can you feel the weight of what John is saying here? Remember earlier, John was talking about God's what-in-the-world kind of love, remember? Can you sense the magnitude of God's love for you? I hope the cross hasn't become something that you only think of as Lenten services start. God is love. John's not saying that God is loving, although he is, and he's not saying that one of God's activities is to love us, although that's true too. He's saying that God is love. He's saying that all of God's activity is loving Love is his very nature. It's the essence of his being. It's unconditional, self-sacrificing, agape love. And it's a model that should inspire us to demonstrate that same kind of love, perfect Christian agape love. Let's keep reading. Verses 11 through 16. Tell He says, Dear friends, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I'm hoping that when you leave today, you'll have that verse memorized, (laughs) if you haven't already. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. John's offering a a few sources of inspiration here. First, he says we have an obligation to love one another as a, a byproduct of God's loving generosity toward us. It's a reflection of God's love that's showered upon us. And when we meet this obligation to love, we experience something amazing. God lives within us, And his love is made complete or perfect through us. That's the second source of inspiration. He says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. God is like the wind. We can't see the wind, but we can see its effects on trees and flags and lakes. We know it's there because there's a change in those things. We see trees bend, we see flags flutter and And the lakes become wavy. Well, it's the same way with God. We can't see God, but we can see the effects of him living within us. People can know that there's a change because they see a change in us. We demonstrate love, unconditional, self-sacrificing, agape love. And there's a third source of inspiration John tells us that we don't just hear about what God has done in Christ, and we don't just experience the Spirit. John insists that through our testimony, the reality of God presses itself into our lives. We're forced to observe the fact that faithful, loving discipleship is not just an emotional experience of being loved, and it's not just a response to a command that says we should love, God's indwelling is mediated to us through the work of Christ. John then continues by showing us the results of Christian love as we read verses 17 through 19. He says, This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. John makes the statement that a a life inspired by God exhibits a love that is made complete among us, he says. In other words, John's saying that through everything that he has said so far, through all of these principles that he's outlined, God's love is perfected among us. Back in verse 12, John refers to love being perfected in us. Now he's emphasizing something different. God's love isn't perfected through our perception of it. It's not perfected through our experience of it of it God's love is perfected through our expression of it God's love reaches completion or perfection by the degree to which it is shared among us Commentator C.H. Dodd wrote this he says the energy of love discharges itself along lines which form a triangle whose points are God self and neighbor The most immediate result of this perfect love is assurance that we will have the day of judgment. We will have confidence. Experiencing and expressing the love of God so powerfully, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God's spirit resides in our lives, results in boldness and confidence as we approach the day when we meet God. We're not casual or flippant about it. We're not arrogant or obnoxious about it. We're assured and forthright about it. Because of the Spirit's indwelling, we know that despite our continued life in the world, we are different. As it says in verse 17, we are like Jesus. We enjoy a privileged place with God. And then John ends this train of thought on love with an exhortation. And so starting in verse 20 and reading down into verse 4 of chapter 5. Starting in verse 20, he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Familiar? He's mentioned that before. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. John's been describing two dimensions in our experience. The love that we share with God, which was expressed through Jesus Christ, and the love that we share in the community that's viewed as a a byproduct of God's love He says it's certainly easier to love people that you can see than it is to love God who you can't see. He's thinking of out of sight, out of mind. How often do we just go through our day thinking we can take care of things and we just maybe don't even think of God as we're walking through our day. John's not saying that we should practice human love in order to grow into divine love. And he's not saying that human love is the only way we can love God. He's not really interested in teaching us about stages of loving God. What he's doing is giving us tests that we can use to see if we really love God in the first place. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, he says it means we don't love God. He says that those people who claim they love God but hate a brother or sister, he calls them a liar. He says they are a liar. The source of all love is God. Because God is love. That seems so obvious, but it's not. Because unconsciously, we believe that, or subconsciously, we believe that somehow the source of love is us. We believe that we have the capacity to love, the capacity to generate love separate and apart from God. It's the subject of movies and Romance novels and songs, when a man loves a woman. We talk about love of friends and family. We talk about patriotism and love of country. But we think about those things as us creating the love on our own. It's almost as if God doesn't have anything to do with it at all. The source of our love is God. And God's love is concrete and specific. First, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ... And repeated over and over again in deeds of loving kindness that we're able to share with others in Christ's name. We love him because he first loved us. And if we're faithful, our love is seen in lots of different ways, like helping out at interfaith manor, or volunteering at Caring Cupboard, or assisting in some way at LCCM, or visiting shut-ins, or, 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 the list goes on. God is the source of all love, and the miracle is the more you give away, the more you still have to give. It never runs out. I think one way that I can summarize what John is trying to tell us here, he's trying to make us aware of the fact that we should love because we want to, not because we're being commanded to. I tried to think of an example of that, and uh, any parents who have children who have grown to be adults, you can probably go back and remember when they were young, there was a certain part of their life when you had to struggle to just get them to take a shower. I don't need a shower. Well, you've been out, you've been running around all day, you're a mess, I don't need a shower. You know, come on, just clean up, we're going to go to your grandparents' house, you need to look a little nicer, you know, they'll take a shower because you made them, they're following the command. You might have even had to instill some fear in them, you know, if you don't take a shower, you're not going to get to do this or that or the other. They take their shower and their hair's a mess. So you tell them, you know, do something with your hair. My hair's fine. No, I got you know, brush your hair. Well, they'll just put their hand through it a little bit, and you know, I'm fine. And so you, you go through this day after day after day after week after week after, and then all of a sudden one day, Dad, I, I'm going to take a shower. What? You could take a shower. Okay, okay. And then they take the shower and then they're at the mirror. And they're fixing their hair. And you can't get them away from anything that creates a reflection. They'll walk up to the car window and they're, they're looking at themselves. They'll look at anything that gives them. A, what has happened? They found somebody, a girl. Right, exactly. No longer do they, want to, do they have to be told to take a shower or to comb their hair. Now they want to, right? And that's what John's telling us here. He wants us to get beyond the point where we have to be told to love someone, beyond the point of, look, if you don't love someone, as John's kind of warning us here, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, you don't love God. You know, you kind of put some fear in us. He wants us to get to the next level where we don't even have to think about all that. It's not a command. It's not out of fear. I just want to love. I just want to love my brothers and sisters. And that's when you realize that God's spirit is in you, God's love is in you, and you're just loving because you love him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if you do it, I'll get a new sermon ready for you next week. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. Father, we are so thankful that you are light and love. Father, help us to grow our hearts, to recognize your love, and just to get to a point where we love just because we love you. And we remember and acknowledge and just live the the joy that you love us. Father, we just... Just ask for your help. Help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll ask you to stand now. I final hymn, number 307. This morning, there was one thing I wanted to point out. Notice on the pulpit, thy word giveth light. So as you go this morning, may you go in peace, and may you go with the assurance that God is love, and may you grow in his love this week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>